Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us this morning. I've got about five minutes left to have a sermon here, so I'm going to jump right in. Yeah, thank you, Phil. Yeah. Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of the UK, used to tell a story about visiting a nursing home one afternoon, kind of a photo op for the residents there. And she talked about going up and down the halls, meeting the residents and talking to them, when she noticed a very elderly woman sitting in a wheelchair outside of her door, and Margaret Thatcher went over and began talking to this elderly woman. And during the conversation, it became obvious to the prime minister that this woman had no idea that she was talking to a world leader. So finally, Margaret Thatcher leaned over and said, Ma'am, do you know who I am? The woman smiled and patted her hand and said, No, dear, I don't. But if I were you, I'd ask the nurse. She can probably help you. <laughs> you know, there are times when we feel very confident about who we are, what we're doing, what's next. There are other times when maybe we're not quite so sure of ourselves when it comes to where we are, what we're doing, what's going to happen. Picking up our story through the book of Acts today, and we're in chapter 4. And Peter and John find themselves in a situation where not exactly sure what's going to happen next. We spent two weeks talking about the miracle that was performed in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John heal a man who was crippled sitting outside the temple gates. We looked at that miracle through the lens of the crippled man. We looked at that miracle through the lens of Peter and John. The crowd that gathered because of that miracle prompted Peter to share sort of an impromptu sermon. Yet towards the end of chapter 3, Peter is taking an opportunity to tell people about Jesus, and the message of that impromptu sermon in chapter 3 is strikingly similar to his message in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. God sent his son, you crucified him, God raised him back to life, you need to repent and turn to God. It's a pretty good sermon, repent and turn to God. But at the end of chapter 3, Peter doesn't have a chance actually to finish that sermon. He never gets to offer his invitation. He's interrupted during that sermon. That's where we're picking up our text this morning in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people and the leading priests, the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees came over to them. They were very disturbed that Peter and John were claiming, on the authority of Jesus, that there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, jailed them until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it, so the number of believers totaled about 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Okay, there's some good news and some bad news going on here. The good news is the gospel is being preached. People are listening, people are hearing, people are believing, the church is growing. The bad news is Peter and John are arrested and put into jail for preaching the good news. They find themselves in jail, a very scary, very stressful, very uncertain situation. And as we pick up their uh, experience in Acts chapter 4, there's a few things that I want to share with you that I think we can maybe learn from, and I hope grow in as we talk about our, our own Christian walk. And first, in this section of Scripture, Peter and John are amazing. 
amazing. Take a look at verse 5. The next day, the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Leaders and elders of our nation, are we being questioned because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed in the name and power of Jesus Christ from Nazareth, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name in all of heaven for people to call on to save them. In verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men who had no special training. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. The Sanhedrin, this kind of the, the ruling group of the Jews, they were supposed to be the best and the brightest. They were supposed to be the smart guys, the intelligent people. They look at Peter and they look at John and they say, you know what, these two guys, they're amazing. I mean, we sort of have to admit they're, they're amazing. Which doesn't make sense because they're not educated. They weren't nuclear physicists. They weren't PhDs. They weren't scribes. They weren't even rabbis. They were just ordinary, unschooled, blue-collar men. But the council recognized that they're amazing. And notice it's the council who recognized why they were amazing. They were amazing because they'd been with Jesus. They recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You want to talk about a goal for your life? That's a pretty good goal, isn't it? Be recognized as someone who spent time with Jesus. Have you ever noticed that people who spend a lot of time together sort of start looking like each other? You've seen people who've been married for a long time and they sort of start looking like each other? Now, you young people who are thinking about getting married one day, you might want to keep that in mind. <laughs> As you're thinking about who you might want to marry. Heard about a woman who rushed into her doctor and said, Doctor, you've got to do something. Look at me. I woke up this morning, I looked in the mirror, my hair has exploded all over my head, it's a frizzy mess, my, my eyes are all bloodshot, they're bulging out of my head, my skin is all pasty, I, I look like some kind of a corpse. Doctor, what's wrong with me? Doctor said, well ma'am, I can tell you this, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> Listen, you know, what do you look like, right? But that's not the question I'm asking, the question I'm asking is, who do you look like? Peter and John were amazing, but they were amazing not because of what they looked like. Peter and John were amazing because of who they looked like. So, who do you look like? In his book, Just Like Jesus, the author begins that book with a premise that really, that thread carries through the whole book, and the premise is, what if, for one day, Jesus lived your life? What if, for 24 hours, your heart got the, week, got the day off and the heart of Jesus ruled your life. Your 
boss became his boss. Your home became his home. He, he walked in your shoes. Your problems became his problems. With that one exception, nothing else changes. No, your situation doesn't change. Circumstances don't change. Your problems don't get solved. Your schedule doesn't really change. What if for one day Jesus lived your life with his heart? His priorities, his passion, his love kind of directed your behavior. What would you be like? Would anybody notice a difference? Would your family say, wow, what's gotten into Tim? The people you work with, the people you go to school with, would they notice a difference? Would you treat your friends any differently? How about your enemies? How about you, yourself? Would you feel different? Would you, would you be a little more joyful? Would you be a little more patient? Maybe a little more humble? Would you sleep better at night? Would you spend a little more time noticing sunsets? Would you still do the things that you're planning on doing, the places you were planning on going? What would your life be like if Jesus really did rule your heart for one day? And you can imagine that person, and that's exactly who God wants you to be. God wants us to be that person. Philippians 2, 4 says that we're to think and we're to act like Christ Jesus. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to think like Jesus. People should look at us and say, wow, you remind me of somebody. Mm, yeah, Jesus. You remind me of Jesus. Not because of what you look like, because of who you look like. We need to be amazing. I want this to be an amazing church. I don't know what your goals are in life. I hope you have some. But I hope your goals are to be amazing. I want to have an amazing marriage. Not, not just a good marriage, not just a great marriage. I want to have an amazing marriage. Now, we want to raise amazing children. We want to have amazing families. Again, people ought to look at us and say, you all, you're amazing. Not because of what you look like, but because of who you look like. And make no mistake, what I'm saying here is we can't be amazing and we can't look amazing without looking like Jesus. It's because of, because of Jesus. Because we want to reflect His love and His life. That's when people realize you've been with Jesus. And it's kind of amazing. A is for amazing. B is for bold. See what I'm doing here? Acts chapter 4, the first part of verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John. When they saw their courage. Isn't that who we've been called to be? Doesn't Paul tell Timothy, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, power, love, and self-discipline. We're called to be like Peter and John. We're called to be bold, which is really easy to say when I'm standing here in this room with you. It's a whole lot harder to act that way and be that way when I'm outside of this building all by myself. Again, Peter and John were bold. But they weren't bold because of what they knew. Peter and John were bold because of who they knew. What they knew didn't give them courage. In fact, what they knew should have scared them to death. These two men are arrested at nighttime. 
They don't have to go back too far in their memories to recall what happens when the Jews have people arrested at night. Jesus was arrested at night. Peter and John would remember that because Peter and John were there. They were standing beside Jesus when the mob came for him. They saw the torches. They saw the hatred. They knew that 24 hours after Jesus was arrested at night, he was dead. They have no idea how this is going to play out for them. They don't know if they're going to survive this. See, they never saw the video of the book of Acts. But they did see the passion of the Christ. They knew how that movie went, right? So they sit in this cell and they have to wonder, are we going to be treated like he was treated? We don't know. Are we going to be beaten like he was beaten? Might we be killed like he was killed? Now, what they knew should have scared them to death. Their boldness didn't come from what they knew. Their boldness came from who they knew. Listen, there are times when what we know ought to scare us to death, right? You think about your finances. I don't have enough paycheck to finish the month. You, you think about you know people talking about marriage. We know the statistics. You know, the odds are, are, are really bad. You know, so many marriages end in, end in divorce. Violent crime seems to be on the rise. Morality seems to be on the decline. We live in a very dangerous, very scary world. So Peter and John are asked before the council, by what power, what name did you perform this miracle? I want you to tell us about this crippled man. Tell us about this invalid that, uh, that you healed. But Peter and John really don't spend any time talking about the crippled man. And they don't spend very much time at all talking about the miracle. Listen again to Peter's response. Let me read it again from the NIV. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. I told you a couple of weeks ago, pay attention to how many times the gospel message is shared in the book of Acts. Here's one more. Peter standing before the Sanhedrin telling them, Jesus is the Son of God. You killed him. God brought him back to life. Salvation is found in Jesus. Peter doesn't really spend any time talking about you know, the man. He points people immediately to the man. Let me tell you about Jesus. Christians are called to be bold. How? Why? Listen, it's not because we're in control of much of anything. Again, look at Peter and John. Physically, they weren't in control of anything. They didn't choose to be arrested at night. They didn't choose to be standing before the Sanhedrin. You know, the reality is things happen in our lives that we have absolutely no control over. There's things that happen all the time. Good, good people have bad things happen to them. You lose your job. Your spouse leaves. A drunk driver crosses the line. The doctor calls with some bad news. There are things we have no control over. Control is not what makes us bold. 
And we're not bold because we have superior strength or intelligence or sense or we're just we're so smart and we're so capable. That doesn't make us bold as all at all. That's not where our courage comes from. Again, that's not the reason that these men looked at uh, Peter and John and said, "Wow, you're really courageous. You're bold." They're ordinary. They're uneducated men. They're, they're fishermen. Understand this as well. We're not bold because we have assured results here in this world. We don't have an assurance of how things are going to play out in this life. Peter and John certainly didn't. Again, they're arrested at night. They have no idea what's going to happen to them. They have no idea if they're going to survive the night. They have no idea if they're going to still be alive after their encounter with the Jewish leaders. James wasn't. Stephen wasn't. Now, assurance in this life doesn't give us boldness, doesn't give us courage. But we are assured of God. God's power. Of God's sovereignty. Of God's promises. We're not bold because of what we know. We're bold because of who we know. A is for amazing. B is for bold. And C is for committed. Peter and John were completely committed to the cause of Christ. Verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. These two men are told in no uncertain terms, stop talking about Jesus. We don't want you speaking. We don't want you teaching in the name of Jesus. And they're pretty quick to reply, we can't agree to that. Yeah, that's not going to happen. We can't help ourselves. We couldn't stop if we wanted to. Then verse 21 says that they didn't know how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. So they threatened them some more and let them go. Again, the Sanhedrin says, listen, we don't want you talking about Jesus. And if you persist in talking about Jesus, we're going to find you. We're going to beat you. We're going to hurt you. We might kill you. And you know we can do it. But they're talking to two men who are totally committed. And Peter and John were committed not because of what others wanted. They're committed because of what God wanted. These men had been with Jesus. They're, 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 they, they learned commitment. I think commitment is a discipline that we learn. We're not born committed to anything. I think we need to be teaching our children to be committed. These two men are committed to Jesus. They learned from the master teacher, by the way. Jesus was committed. Jesus was committed to the plan. Jesus was committed to a cause. There was a focus in his life. Now, the day he walked out of his father's carpentry shop in Nazareth, Jesus was committed to the cross. In fact, the last thing he said before he died on the cross is, it is finished. Jesus was committed to the plan. Peter and John are committed to Jesus. You know, you have people whispering in your ear all the time telling you what to commit to. Telling you what to dedicate yourself to. Good people telling you good things. You got to get ahead. You got to climb the ladder. 
You need a better position. You need a little bit nicer house, nicer car, a little more money. You need to be making better grades. Whatever it takes, whatever we have to do to see that happen, we'll do. We need to be enjoying life as much as we can. We need to have all the stuff that's going to make us enjoy life. More status, more things. People are always telling you what to commit to. And it might be very subtle. And it might be a very good thing that they're telling you to commit to. But if we're not careful, our, our focus starts to change. And when our focus starts to change, our hearts start to change. Now, people are always whispering in your ear. What's God whispering in your ear? And Romans 8.28 tells us that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, called according to His purpose. We usually talk about the first part of that verse, but we are called to a purpose. We have a purpose. Are you fitting into God's purpose? Are you fitting into God's plan? Okay, what's God's plan? God's plan is that no one should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. God's plan is for people who know Jesus, telling people who don't know Jesus how they can come to know Jesus. That's the plan. By the way, He's not whispering that in your ear. He is shouting that at you. You don't have to read very far into the Bible before you start getting that message. The Gospel of Jesus. This morning, are you committed to what God wants? Are you part of the plan? Are you telling people your Jesus story? I don't want you to forget that. Jesus died for me. God raised Him from the dead three days later. He sits at the right hand of God and someday He's coming back. So I want to be a child of God's. And I want to share that. I want to testify to that. I want to witness for Jesus Christ. We can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. Peter and John had been with Jesus. And because they'd spent so much time with Jesus, they were amazing. And because they'd spent so much time with Jesus, they were bold. And because they'd spent so much time with Jesus, they were committed. Amazing, not because of what they looked like, but because of who they looked like. Bold, not because of what they knew, but because of who they knew. Committed, not to what the world wanted, but to what God wants. And what God wants is us. He wants our heart. Lock, stock, and barrel. He wants us sold out. He wants followers. He wants disciples of Jesus. If you commit to that, God will give you a boldness to face anything that will come your way. If you commit to that, people will look at you and they'll say, you're amazing. Because you remind me of Jesus. You've been with Jesus, haven't you? This morning, first day of a week, let's commit to this week. Let's be amazing. Let's be like Jesus this week. Listen, as a church family, maybe there's something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of people who love you. We'd love to pray with you about anything that you might be struggling with. Uh, maybe you want to share some things with the, the, your family here. You know, Phil talked about this is a family. This is who we are. We'd love to help you in any way that we can. Maybe today's, you, you, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about making Him the Lord of my life. We'd love to help you with that as well. If we can do anything to, to help you, minister with you or for you, meet us here at the front of the auditorium. Let's stand and sing.